You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again at OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered in iTunes and online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So again, thanks so much for tuning in today. We've got a very cool episode. This app podcast has actually been one that's been penciled in on my end, on like where I like schedule out podcasts for about six months. Like this is how long I've been wanting to do this podcast. So I'm jacked up today. I've had like three cups of coffee this morning. The girls are sleeping right now, so I'm ready to go and get this podcast done. And what's so cool about this podcast, as you'll learn here as we start talking about Warren Buffett's option strategy, is that or what I think is, is interesting is that I always have like this note uh, when I start podcasts where I say, that the most important thing I should do when starting a podcast is just to remember who the people are that might be listening. Like, who are the people that could be listening to the show and talk directly to those people? And one of the people that I have listed as potential people that I want to always be addressing and kind of like talking to if I were basically doing the show like I was talking to that person is Warren Buffett. So like I have a note that says like, do the podcast like Warren Buffett is listening. And today, Mr. Buffett, if you're out there, please be listening to today's show because I think it's important that you really get your message out there about what you think about options trading and how people can actually use it to be successful in business. So as we go through here today in in today's show, like I said, we're going to go through Warren Buffett's $5 billion, yes, correct, with a B, billion dollar option trading strategy that practically everyone ignores. Now, of course, some people have covered it, but believe me, the vast, vast majority of people that cover Warren Buffett only cover cover one aspect of his investing. Everyone thinks that he's this really long-term equity-only investor. They buy stocks and holds them for years, and that's true. But there's another side of his business that people really don't dig into. And so my whole goal and mission in doing this show uh, for our 60th episode here at Option Alpha is to get people talking about this strategy. Because here's what I find is like people tell me all the time when it comes to options trading, like I'll ask people like, well, why don't you talk about it more? And I even just asked this the other day. I was I was calling a couple members and like trying to dig more and, and research more and like survey members and see what the real challenge is. And I asked people like, well, why don't you like teach people? Like, you know a lot. Like I was talking to one guy and I was like, you know, you know a lot about options. Why don't you teach? Why don't you help coach? Why don't you get more active in the forums? And he says, you know, I, I just don't know because people always, you know, come back with these excuses as to why they don't do it or they don't understand it. And so for me, this is a great way that if you have somebody in your life, whether they listen to the show or not, and you can send them a link to the show or not, or somebody that you want to explain why you do options trading, that you don't have to be afraid of telling people that you're an options trader, that you're trying to be an options trader. You can use this episode and the logic that Warren Buffett also trades options and is an option seller and use that logic to help kind of get your point across and, you know, tell people about what you do and what you're trying to do. Like if you went up to somebody at a party, say, hey, I trade options and the conversation gets started, you know, I do it just like Warren Buffett does it, right? And then they say, well, what do you mean Warren Buffett does? Well, didn't you know that Warren Buffett's a big time option seller? Didn't you know that he's, you know, big on premium selling? Didn't you know that he, you know, thinks implied volatility is always overstated? And so those kind of things can be conversation starters for you. And so again, my goal in this podcast is to help you, you know, obviously empower you with the information that you need to know, but also to tell you that some of the biggest names, some of the biggest players in the world of investing are doing the same types of strategies that we are doing here at Option Alpha. And so it's no coincidence 
that we're doing these. I've known this for a long time. I've done videos on this for a long time. Now we're finally getting it out on the podcast. So the first thing I want to do here is talk about a quote that Warren Buffett had back in 2002. And I think this quote is the one that always I, I get often in like emails that people send me and they'll send me this and they'll say, but Kirk, Warren Buffett said this. And so he said this in the 2002 Berkshire Hathaway annual report letter. And of course, we'll have all this linked up at optionalpha.com slash show 60. So you can see all the links and the references and all the research that we did. It's all in there. I'll be said, I view derivatives as time bombs, both for parties that deal in them and the economic system. Basically, their instruments call for the money to change hands at some future date with the amount determined by one or more reference items, such as interest rates, stock prices, currency, etc. And he said, basically, they're mass, like weapons of mass destruction, right? So he views them as time bombs. But what he was specifically talking about in that case was like more often the real estate type of uh, derivatives and like mortgage-backed securities and collateralized debt obligations and all of these things that really contributed and compounded to, you know, potentially the 2007-2008 market crash. But what's funny about this and what I find so interesting about Buffett in particular, and if I ever had a chance to sit down with him and I ask him really this question, it's like, why do you tell people to not trade using financial instruments and derivatives, yet you yourself have done so in a very big way. And so what I often encourage people to say, to do is do what he does, not what he says he does. So he says that derivatives are a weapon of mass destruction, but yet he does them in a very big way, a $5 billion way, specifically with short premium strategies, which we'll talk about. He does so in a $37 billion way, and even more so when he's trying to acquire companies and reduce his cost basis in stock. So it's interesting to me that he says don't do it, but yet he does it on a very large scale. It's not everything that he does. Don't get me wrong. He's not only trading options. I get it. So I don't want the emails and the comments from people like Kirk. Well, he trades, you know, he's a long-term investor. I get that, but he does options and uses derivatives in a huge way. And people don't understand that. So before we get into his actual strategy, I want to talk first about his insurance business because I think that you have to really understand his philosophy on premium, on cash flow, on investment, on numbers to really understand like why he does things in the option space the way he does. And so most of you should know, and if you don't know, uh, Warren Buffett and most of the companies that he owns are in the insurance business. It's not all companies, but he's a major cash flow kind of guy. And he even said in his 2015 shareholder letter, which again, I'll link up to, and it was page five. So in case you want to look up, look it up. And I'm just pulling this quote right out of there. But he said in his 2015 letter to shareholders, he said, Berkshire's huge and growing insurance operation, again, profited at an underwriting profit of, uh, in 2015. That makes 13 years in a row and increased its float. Now, during these years, our float, money that doesn't belong to us that we can invest for Berkshire's benefit, grew by $41 billion to $88 billion. Through neither that gain nor the size of our flows reflected in the earnings, float generates significant investable income because of the assets it allows us to build up and hold. And he said, meanwhile, our underwriting profit totaled $26 billion during the 13-year period, which included $1.8 billion earned in 2015. Here's what's so incredibly fascinating for me about Warren Buffett's businesses and including like things like Geico and all of these different insurance companies that he has. I think there's like, when I counted in there, 
like insurance companies and subsidiaries is like 13 to 15, depending on how like you break them out as like a major holding or a subsidiary or whatever the case is. But in, but Buffett knows that the entire way to make money on a real long-term basis is by selling insurance. That's what he does. That his, is his main business. And so when he talks about float, what he's talking about is he's talking about all those insurance premiums that come in that he can invest before he ever has to pay out any claims or liabilities. So let's just break it down on its most granular scale. If you take out an insurance policy on your car, which everyone has car insurance, or hopefully everyone has car insurance, right? You pay, let's say $500 a year for that car insurance. Well, that insurance company takes in $500 of premium from you that they can then invest in whatever they want. And they can use that float or that premium that they collected to invest in, again, whatever they want, other companies, other insurance products, whatever, you know, corporate, you know, benefits, HR, people, human resources, capital, everything. And they take that in knowing that at some point they might have to divvy out some liability. So if you crash your car and there's a legitimate claim that you should be replacing that car for $35,000, then they're going to pay out the $35,000, but they don't have to pay it out right away. So there's this floating premium or floating cash that they get to collect and basically use for their own investment you know, decisions or you know, allocations. And in the case of Berkshire Hathaway, that was basically uh, it grew that that float grew from forty one billion dollars to now is about eighty eight billion dollars in their portfolio, and this is premium that they're taking in that they haven't yet paid out in liability. So sure, could there be some liabilities that they pay out? Yes, but they know that the numbers and the statistics work in their favor. That over time they're going to keep collecting more premium and more float than they ever have to pay out, and maybe they don't have to pay something out for five years or ten years or twenty years on somebody policy, right? And so that's all they're doing is they're playing this huge numbers game by selling insurance. That is the bread and butter of his entire business is being able to sell insurance. And he does so in many different areas on many different types of, you know, uh, property, equipment, businesses, you know, all of this stuff, cars with Geico, home, auto, I, like everything. And he just diversifies out everything over time. So this is really fascinating to me or should be fascinating to you because, that same strategy can then be applied to how he trades options as well and how you should be trading options in your own portfolio. This idea of selling insurance, collecting a premium, although we can't necessarily invest that premium, just that idea of using the numbers and using the math to our own benefit, okay, which is something that most people really don't talk about. So how does Buffett use options today? That's really the question that most people are really asking. Or if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, okay, I get that. How does Buffett use options today? Well, there's two major ways that he uses options trading. The first one is he uses short puts or naked puts to lower the cost basis for purchasing stock or target companies that he wants to acquire. Now, nobody talks about this. Everyone ignores this fact or very few people talk about this. And you really have to dig into some of the filing stuff to actually figure out exactly how he's doing this and and where he's doing it. And again, we've got links and, and charts and graphs and images and stuff like that. Anything that we could find on this is all on show notes uh, on the show notes page, optionalpha.com slash show 60. But that is the first way that he uses options is he uses short puts to lower the cost basis for purchasing stock. Let me give you a couple examples of how he did it. Okay. Back in 1993, 
okay? He wanted to lower the cost basis to purchase more shares of Coca-Cola, okay? Ticker symbol KO. So in April 1993, and you got to dig a long time to find some of this stuff, he sold or shorted 30,000 contracts of -of out-of-the-money Coca-Cola put options for $1.50 apiece. Let me say that again. He shorted 30,000 contracts of Coca-Cola put options out of the money. So he's just selling a naked put option in Coca-Cola for $1.50 a piece. And what that basically does is that basically is going to reduce the cost of owning Coca-Cola if it ever drops because he knows he wants to own the stock and reduce the cost of ownership by $1.50 for each of those contracts. And again, the reason that he's doing this is for a cost basis reduction. We talked about this in show 53 where we talked about how a covered call can help increase your portfolio returns above and beyond the S&P because it reduces cost basis because you take in a premium. Uh, how a short naked put, even in that podcast show 53, how a short naked put option outperformed the S&P. And that, like just all of that stuff is really, really fascinating to understand. And, and again, Buffett's doing this. He's just doing it on a bigger scale. Now, those options had an expiration date of December of 1993. So they were, you know, about eight months out, nine months out. Okay. So they weren't like real long term at this point. But then later on, he added 20,000 more contracts. Okay. So he went in, shorted 30,000. Then he split up his entry and did 20,000 more contracts. Okay. Shorting those put options again. And basically at the end of the day, he got paid $7.8 million in cash up front for Coca-Cola. Okay. Now, obviously, if Coca-Cola dropped below the break-even point that he had, he would buy the stock, but he's okay with that. But he also collected $7.8 or $7.5 million in cash up front for Coca-Cola and ultimately ended up, you know, kind of buying some more shares and getting some more premium. So again, reduce the cost of ownership of those shares, which is again, anything that anybody can do. I'm just trying to explain how he uses it. Now, the other thing he did, and this is in 2008. So this one's a little bit different because he actually used some option premiums before he went out and bought Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad. Okay. So he did the same thing for that in the third quarter of 2008. This is like towards, you know, financial crash time, right? His natural indemnity company, which is a subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway, sold 5.5 million shares of put options in Burlington Northern Santa Fe company, exercisable in the last quarter of December 2008. So he only did this for three months. He sold options in the third quarter, and then he had an exercise date or an expiration date of December of that same year, 2008. Okay. And basically, what he ended up wanting to do is just collect all of this money up front so that he had this big cash payment coming in advance of him actually buying out of the actual company, okay? So it's really no coincidence that this kind of hefty premium that he collected saved him hundreds of millions of dollars when actually purchasing BNI, which is the ticker symbol for, or was the ticker symbol at the time for Burling, Burlington Northern Santa Fe. He was able to do that by selling a bunch of these option contracts and premiums, okay? And collecting all of this money. I think the strike price at that time was around $80 on average. We've got a link to the actual like filing from the SEC that we, you know, kind of found. And so that's in the show notes page. And some of them he did at 77, 75, 76. Uh, Most of them were really done around the 80 range as kind of like a blended average. Okay. So those are two, or those are two major examples of, of how he does options trading the first way, which is again, selling short puts and reducing cost basis. Now the second way, and I think my most favorite way, because it's really revealing 
struggling uh, like his thought process and methodology with these options is that he just flat out sells index put options. Okay. Now, again, you have to remember, this is Buffett we're talking about. He's moving billions of dollars. He can't sell index. uh, He can't sell short puts in Apple or Microsoft or whatever the case is. It's just, he's too large of a player. So there's got to be a little bit of give and a take here, but it's the concept, the strategy that we all want to, you know, like take away from this as being, you know, like the most important aspect here. Okay. And so again, his second major way that he uses options trading is to sell short index put options. Now, if you actually go back in time to his filing back in 2008, and this is when he really started adding a lot of short put options, index put options. This is during the, literally during the end of the 2008 crash that we had, right? Buffett's getting in there and because volatility is so high, he's selling put options left and right and left and right and left and right. And I want to read you a little bit from his 2008 letter to shareholders. And again, this comes out in 2009, kind of recaps what they did in 2008. So he said this, he said, we have added modestly to our equity portfolio. I described in the year's report, some of our contracts come due in 15 years, other in 20 years. We must make a payment to our counterparty at maturity if the reference index to which we sold the put is tied to is below the inception of the contract. Now, neither party can elect to settle early, which means, and I'm just going to jump in here. So this means that neither party can elect to settle early, which means they're European style options, which means he collects all this money up front and doesn't ever have to pay out anything until possibly the last day. So he said, getting back into it, he said, so neither party can elect to settle early. It's only the price on the final day that counts. So what did he end up doing here, guys? He basically went in and collected all of this premium, okay? About $5 billion worth of premium. And he gets to keep and invest that premium for 15 to 20 years, right? 15 to 20 years. Okay. Here's what he said. He said, our put contracts total $37.1 billion of notional value. And he spread these among four major indices, the S&P 500 in the US, the FTSE 100 in the UK, the Eurostock 50 in the Europe, uh, and then the Nikkei 225 in Japan. He said, our first contracts come due on September 9th, 2019, and our last on January 24th, 2028. We have received premiums of $4.9 billion money we have invested as float. And meanwhile, we have paid nothing since all expiration dates are far in the future. Then obviously we don't have to pay out any of this money until the final day. Okay. So again, this is what he basically did. He collected all of this money upfront in option premiums, knowing that implied volatility at the time during 2008 was at its highest level in the record years, right? So he came in and he took what we did or what we tell people to do at Option Alpha, which is sell premium when implied volatility is really high. And he took it to another level and he did it only when implied volatility was really, really high, like the once every 10 year type trade. And he just spread that contract out over many, many years collecting that premium so that he can invest that money, okay? So what's really interesting about this, like I said, is that he's doing exactly what we try to tell people to do, and that is sell over expensive options far out, right? Like in our case, we can't sell 30 or 40 year options, right? But you can do it 60 days out, 90 days out if you want to and collect that premium and play the numbers and probabilities. Okay. That's what's really, really fascinating. Now, when we get into the methodology behind this, and I don't want you to, I don't want to lose you at this point because you're probably thinking, okay, like I get that. That makes sense, but he can invest this money in float and all this other stuff like that. But when we get into the methodology of like why sell the put options, like what is the reasoning behind it? Like what's 
What's the unobservable inputs, as they say in their quarterly report and filing, that they are basing this assumption on selling puts? Like, why not buy call options, right? If you think the markets are going to go up and you sell put options, why not buy call options? Okay, why not make more money on doing that? Well, here's what they actually said. And this is in page, I'm trying to find the actual page. This is in page 21 of their 2016 second quarterly filing. Okay, so the second quarterly filing is our out already out for 2016 in Berkshire Hathaway. Page 21 basically details all of their investments in derivatives. Now, right now, they still have $4.4 billion worth of value in these contracts. So they've already lost a considerable amount of value, but they're still far out, right? And they still have some time until expiration and some you know, markets are have been moving a little bit, but there's still a lot of a premium left in these options to you know like retain and and capture. And what they said in this page 21 is really really insightful. And they basically have a chart here that says what the principal valuation technique is for their index put options and they have the Black Shoals option pricing model, which is basically what all options are priced off of anyways. So they're using the same pricing model that we're all using. And they have an unobservable input here, which is volatility with a weighted average of those contracts of about 21% volatility. And they say in here that they know that volatility is the unobservable expected volatility in the future, which is supposed to be or expected to be lower historically than the model suggests. And so they know in plain English, black and white, just like what we try to tell everyone that we are doing here at Option Alpha, they know that volatility is the one random factor that's in there that they know is overpriced all the time. All the time, they just happen to do a lot of this during the 2008 crash when volatility was like VIX was 80, 90, etc. And so they just did a lot of this activity in 2007, and they're just carrying it through for the next you know 10, 15 years, 20 years, etc. Okay, so really, really insightful stuff, hopefully, and kind of understanding how Buffett trades options. And again, he's not doing anything different from his insurance business, selling insurance, which is like selling put options. It's the same thing to what he does in trying to acquire companies like more shares of Coca-Cola or railroads or whatever company he's going after. He uses the same stinking strategy across the board, like the same short put strategy in multiple different facets with different goals across the board. And I think it's incredibly fascinating that people start talking about this more. And again, I don't think that everybody ignores it, but most people ignore it. So I say in like the title, everyone ignores it. Yeah, like 98% of people ignore it. Nobody asks him on CNBC, hey, why'd you sell a bunch of put options? Hey, why did you sell so much you know, premium in this stock? Like, are you looking to acquire the stock? Why, what do you think about volatility? Is it over, overstated or not? Like, nobody asks him those types of questions. And, and that would definitely be something I'd love to ask him one day if I ever got the chance to you know, sit down and interview him. So hopefully as we kind of wrap up this and get into our next segment here at Option Alpha on the podcast, this has been uh, really exciting and fascinating for you just to understand a little bit about his overall philosophy. And again, I always say, do what he does, not what he says he's going to do because most people see too much of the long-term investor buy and hold type of aspect on the media. And I just don't think that it's the full picture. I think there's a lot more behind it that people don't understand. And hopefully this podcast gave you a little bit of insight into that. So what we're going to do now is we're going to get into a new segment that we're going to start here on the podcast. We talked about this last last two weeks or so, but we've started this new segment here at Option Alpha called Ask a Trader. And basically this, this section is taking voicemails that we received online on our website 
and trying to answer at least one question or a couple questions that people submit on the show and in the podcast. So if you want to hear your question on the podcast, please get them in because we're starting to get a nice bank of questions and it's literally first come first serve. And so what I'm going to start doing is answering these questions, not only on the podcast, but when we start doing Facebook live and Periscope sessions, we'll be answering these and we're not going to answer any questions that are submitted via email for this. You've got to submit a voicemail question and all you can do is just go to optionalpha.com slash ask. It's very easy to do. Again, you just click the record button right in the middle of the screen, no software to download, nothing like that, but just ask your question, like whatever question you have on it. So let's get into the new session or the new uh, segment that we have here on the show. Now, our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we answer a question from one of our current members of our options trading. Got a question you'd like to answer? Live on air? Just head over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. Hi, Kirk. My name is Dan from Chicago, Illinois. And my question is, if we know that implied volatility overstates realized volatility over the course of time, what are some underlyings that overstate this more than others? My hope here is potentially to look into this in uh, some different stocks or ETFs that uh, are maybe a little bit richer in premium and would allow us to take on a little bit less risk because potentially they overstate that IV a little bit more than others. Thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate it. All right. Hey, Dan, thanks for the question and submitting it. And uh, I think this is a good question to start off with. So as our first kind of like question from the community and the end result here is that what we found as we've started doing more and more backtesting, not only on ETFs, but also on underlying stocks, like you said, things like Google and Tesla and Apple and GE and Disney and like all these different securities that we've tested is that generally speaking, stocks as a group always have a wider spread in implied volatility versus historical. And that's natural because you have things like earnings that come about and that kind of like skews the data a little bit a couple times a year. But just naturally, people are either going to be more fearful or more greedy on an actual stock like Apple or Google or Tesla and expect it to move much further than it actually does. So what we are finding is that even like the biggest tech companies, the, you know, like companies that don't have as big of a market cap, you could say like, you know, the Apples and, well, the Apple's big, but like the Teslas, the Netflix, uh, you know, type companies, they have a really wide disparity in the implied volatility versus what actually happens or historical volatility. Now, that being said, with ETFs, ETFs generally have a smaller spread between implied and expected, but that spread is maintained in ETFs a lot longer throughout the year. So even though the spread might be lower, it's usually carried out through much of the year. Whereas like an ETF, you might have maybe one or two like cycles during the year where implied volatility didn't really, you know, anticipate the big move versus a stock like some of these ones like Netflix and Google and Apple and Tesla, et cetera. You have a wider spread generally when it overstates it, but that overstatement doesn't happen as consistently throughout the year. So like, for example, in Netflix, you might have five or six different times throughout the year where Netflix moves more than expected and kind of overshoots volatility and the way that it was priced versus an ETF, you might only have one or two times during the year. So at the end of the day, is there a solution to this? I think the simple answer is that generally your high technology type companies, your not as stable companies that have been around for decades like a Disney or a GE tend to have more implied volatility and tend to overstate. 
You just have to be aware that that overstatement may not be consistent every single you know quarter or year, and you might have more fluctuation in implied volatility moving a lot more than expected. So hopefully that helps answer your question. Thank you so much for submitting the question, and we'll get right into our closing bell segment here. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so in today's closing bell segment, we're going to look at actually an earnings trade. And uh, this is a trade that we like, and there hasn't been that many earnings trades that we've tried to make here over the last, call it 30 days or so, just because low volatility has been really in the market. I mean, the time that we're doing this video here in early August, uh, there's just a lot of low volatility that's being you know seen throughout the market. And so as a result, there's not a lot that's able to be traded. Um, and it's really, really hard to trade you know things with low volatility. We're even in earnings season right now. We're not seeing a lot of jacked up implied volatility premium. Uh, but one security that we are seeing a decent amount of premium in is in Coach. And again, this is like the best of everything that's out there right now. And so actually Coach announces their earnings uh, tomorrow before the market opens. So today's 8-8 at the time that I'm recording this video. And they announced their earnings on 8-9 before the open. Right now, implied volatility in Coach is sitting at about 52, 53 as far as rank goes. So again, it's not that crazy high that we always like to see like the 80s and 90s. But we're going to try to do a small trade here and take advantage of this. We're definitely going to do this risk-defined. We don't want to take on undefined risk since volatility isn't really, really juicy to be able to sell. But we're going to go ahead and do the iron butterfly here in Coach, which is selling the 41.5 call, selling the 41.5 put. So doing the same 41.5 call and put on Coach and then going out an equal distance on either end and buying the 45 call and the 38 put. So we're going to do this for about a $2.23 credit, which is just at the expected move. So the expected move is about 2.22, 2.23 or so. So we're taking in a credit that just captures that expected move. So this trade really should have about 60% or 68% chance of making money again with coach announcing earnings tomorrow. And what I like about coach is that, you know, historically if you go back and just look at it, uh, even though it's got not like the best volatility like parameters to enter, so it's not like the best setup that I'm like really, really excited for. I, th- I think it'll work out, but I'm not like jumping in my chair here excited for it to work out. I think when you go back and look at Coach historically, it's not a stock that tends to really gap a lot like a Tesla or a Chipotle or something like that. And it has a pretty good consistent history of seeing a really strong, dramatic drop in implied volatility the day after earnings are announced. And that's really what we're trying to take advantage of here. So we're going to try to do this stock as neutral as possible. We're not taking any directional assumptions here. We're just doing our neutral iron butterflying coach and hoping that the stock opens tomorrow within our expected range and we see a strong, fast drop in implied volatility. And of course, if we do see that, then we're going to go ahead and just try to close out the trade early in the morning. So that's the trade that we're making in coach. And hopefully it's a good little case study uh, to look at because it's definitely something that you know, we're not going to be aggressive in doing, but we're going to do very small. We're only going to do two iron butterflies here in coach and uh, see what we can get out of this trade. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. 
Bet.com. All right, so I truly hope you enjoyed today's show and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources and some of the links that we mentioned in the show and some related video training on Buffett strategy by going to optionalpha.com slash show 60. Again, that's just the number 60. And remember, if you'd like to get your question answered here on the podcast live or on Facebook or Periscope, head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask, click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave a private voicemail. There's no software to download or install and it's incredibly easy. And now before you go, obviously I uh, wanted to tell you also about our freebie today, which is our ultimate strategy guide. Again, a lot of people have asked about this. We recently updated this. So if you got it before in the past and you haven't gotten the new version, please get the new version. Again, it's completely free and you can get it by going to optionalpha.com slash ebook or texting the word strategies to 44222. So that's the short code. You just have to text the word strategies, all one word, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-E-S, all one word to 44222, and that can add you to the list to get a copy of our ultimate strategy guide. So as always, hopefully you guys enjoy the podcast, and until next time, happy trading.